this has uh, been a tough week in sermon preparation. Let me just start off by saying that. Obviously, if you just were listening and you heard, <laughs> you heard our passage today, it's talking about something that um, is a strict warning for someone like me who gets up and teaches God's word, and it's a strict warning for all of us. And uh, I think one of the things, I think we do a couple of things whenever we hear really uncomfortable text from the Bible. And I want to warn us against some of the things that our natural heart tendency desires to do whenever we hear something that is wildly uncomfortable and confronts us immediately uh, with something that we, it confronts our brokenness. And the first thing that this is what we typically do. Whenever we hear something that is really, really uncomfortable, that it comes from the, the Word of God, uh, we, we are scrambling to try to figure out how uh, it doesn't mess with us that, that much. So we point all of our guns at the communicator and we try to discredit him uh, or the person that's telling us something that is really convicting, um, that is rooted in Scripture. And so we, we do things like, we're like, well, you know, Cody, yeah, sure, he told me to tame the tongue this week, but he cut me off in traffic last week, and so, like, I don't really have to listen to him. Can, can we really trust him if he's driving the way that he's driving? Or, or we can say something like, well, yeah, sure, he, he talked about bridling the tongue, which is really unpopular this week, but I saw him and Davis cutting it up at Collective during work hours, no less, and can we really trust someone with that kind of work ethic who's laughing and yucking it up with his college minister? in the middle of a coffee shop at 2 p.m., you know, on a, on a Wednesday. Can we really trust them? And so we aim our guns at the communicator, and we just say, uh, you know what, uh, he's the problem. I'm not the problem, and I don't, I don't even know if I can trust him. I don't even know if I can trust what he's saying because, so let's just ignore it. Let's move on, you know. So that's one of the things that we do. Um, but here's the way that we kind of mitigate uh, that is we preach through books of the Bible here at Redeemer. Preach through books of the Bible. We were going to preach James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12 uh, on May 16th, a long time ago. And so if you think that you can look at me, look at uh, me as the communicator and be like, well, you know, Cody had a conversation. He's just trying to weasel some of his pet peeves or hobby horses into the sermon. No, that's impossible because we preach through uh, books of the Bible. And whenever we get to something that is convicting from the Holy Spirit, uh, know that uh, that's his prerogative. That because we are committed to preaching through the Bible, whenever we get to something that really grips our heart, that really kind of um, gets us to think and causes us to uh, reflect on how we need to repent towards God and believe in the gospel, it, it, it comes, just, comes just from this. It comes from the word of God um, at a particular time. This is not something that I, ch I chose because I had a couple of conversations and I want to talk to you about some of your Christian cuss words that you're going, like you're trying to use as a replacement or anything like that. Nothing like that. The second thing that we like to do, oftentimes whenever the word of God puts us in a really uncomfortable situation, is we say something like this. Well, he's like, that doesn't really apply. It doesn't apply to me. It doesn't apply to me. And what I've noticed about some kind of Western um, Bible Belt Christianity, this is kind of like seeped in a little bit. Um, it's the old idea of constructing a theology that never really uh, confronts you. Constructing a theology that perpetually gets you off the hook. So whenever something's going on, whenever you read something in the Bible, and it's not it's something that you struggle with, you just kind of turn your face and you walk right past it, and then you have these other things 
You have these other things that you say, well, the Bible says this, so why aren't we all just doing it, right? Why aren't we all doing this? Because uh, obviously it's clear in the, in the text. Why, why aren't people caring about the poor enough over here? Why aren't people voting Republican? Like all Christians should be voting Republican. So you have this, lit, uh, you have this list, right, that you say, if you were really a Christian, you would be doing this list. But whenever the word of God confronts our hearts, what do we do? We like to turn our face and walk by it and just say, you know what? I think the grace of God covers that, and I'm just going to, I'm just going to ignore it. Amen? Or ouch. <laughs> ouch, right? And so that's why this has been so uncomfortable this week, because I just feel like the Holy Spirit and James is, is just beating me up a little bit. And so let's, let's kind of enter in. Let's enter in, and, and let's do this. Let's do this. Let's commit as a fellowship of believers right now. Let's commit right now to say, whenever the word of God confronts us, let's not ignore it and let's press into it, see where we need to repent and turn and then see where we need to apply the truths of the gospel. Okay? Can we agree to do that? Because remember... Remember, the very first things that Jesus said in the gospel of Mark is he entered onto the scene, and what was the very first words out of Jesus' mouth in the gospel of Mark? It wasn't just believe and receive all the free grace that God has for you and just kind of know that your sins are just like over here. No, the very first word that he said was repent, turn, turn from your sins. Turn from your sins. That's how you're saved. You, you turn from your sins and you trust in Christ. Trust in him. So whenever the Bible is calling us to repentance, let's not ignore it. We can't, we can't ignore this. We have to apply the truths of the gospel to our hearts. We have to apply it to our hearts. All right? So let's kind of dig in. Let's pray. You know what? Let's pause. Let's pray. Let's ask God to do that in our hearts as we begin, okay? Father, Lord, we need you. We need you not just for our faith to be effectual and life-changing, but we need you to cause us to, to awaken our hearts of how we're trusting in things other than you and how we need to repent from those things so that we can live for you and enjoy you and delight in you. Can you help us with that? Help us quicken our minds, quicken our hearts, transform us so we can say faithfully, I am turning away from the things that put Jesus on the cross so that I can delight and enjoy and treasure him so that other people can say, what's up with those Christians? What's up with them? And how can I enter into the joy and the hope that they have? That's my hope for this congregation today. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so James chapter 3, verse 1, he starts off, all guns aimed at uh, teachers. Teachers, it says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And so he says a couple of scary things about this. Number one, teachers will be, great, will be judged more severely. Now, this is very clear that James got this. He got this from his older brother, Jesus. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 48, it says, 
Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And, for, and from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Now, you might be thinking Spider-Man, Uncle Ben said this, with great power comes great responsibility. No, it came from Jesus. It came from Jesus right here. And what, he, what he's saying is those that God has entrusted different gifts to be able to communicate the word of God, which we're all called to do as believers, he, he proclaims to the entire church, therefore, go and make disciples. We can't make disciples without opening up our mouth and proclaiming the good news of the gospel. And so, therefore, he, but he's saying there's some who are under the chief shepherds called under shepherds who are called to teach and proclaim and shepherd the flock as we pursue Christ together. And he says, don't pursue this. Don't pursue this calling if... If you just want to be up here to be awesome, to be up here so that people think that you're cool or whatever, people uh, be up here so that people uh, will honor you. And back during the, these days, there was a lot of different teachers that gave you accolade and stuff like that. Whenever uh, Jesus was preaching here and whenever James is teaching this, that it was a big deal to be a teacher because you got respect in the marketplace and all and all that. Kind of most of that has waned at this point. But the, 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 the warning is still true. Don't get up here. Don't get up here and teach and proclaim if you don't have a love for God's people, a love for God's word, and a fear of the Lord. Because he's going to judge us with greater strictness. He's going to judge us with greater strictness. So that's the first thing that's scary. The second thing that's scary kind of segues into the entire thing of bridling your tongue. It says, uh, it's scary to be a teacher because the teacher, what he uses is the thing that is lit on fire by hell as their primary vocation. All right? And this is, this is uh, really, really uh, disturbing because in verse 2 it says, we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, a complete man, able also to bridle his whole body. So I love that James puts us kind of all on the same playing field. It's like, hey, we all stumble. It's okay, guys. Like, you might have a pride issue. You might, might have a lust issue. You might have a boasting issue over here. We all kind of struggle in different ways. But listen, someone that doesn't stumble in the words that they say is perfect, complete, mature. Wow. Wow. He's a perfect man. Who can, who is like that? Who in the world is like that? Who doesn't stumble in what he says? You know what's amazing about Jesus? One of the things, this is a quick aside. Uh, Jesus said very, very plainly, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. He is the perfect man whose words will never, ever pass away. He is the perfect man in that James is talking about right here. And so he's, he's bringing up a couple of points that are very important for us to consider. Number one, the tongue is amazingly powerful. Your mouth, the words that you say, ha has great power. Again, Uncle Ben, Jesus, you know, great power comes great responsibility. And number two, it's very hard to train. It's extremely hard to tra train. And so James sets out to prove that the tongue is amazingly powerful. And so this is his argument. He starts giving a couple of examples, and this is primarily his argument, that the little can set the course for the big. That's what he's trying to communicate. The little, this very small thing, that what we see in nature and culture and, and, and shipbuilding and, and all this and fires and, uh, can set the course for something that is much, much larger. In verse 3, he gives the first example. 
He says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies. I remember the very first time that I sat on a horse that wasn't, you know, just at the carnival that was like walking in a circle all by, you know, and you weren't really in control. The first time that I kind of had a little bit of freedom with a horse was at my friend Brandon's house. And I think I was in fifth grade. I probably weighed 60 pounds, all right? You're a really skinny kid, a fifth grader. I didn't weigh anything, and I was on top of this 1,100-pound, just thoroughbred horse. I saw his dad ride it earlier, and it was powerful and moving, you know, just trample me uh, so easily. And I got on that horse, and I was just able to kind of move it from side to side and then just kind of do circles and tricks with it. And I was like, this is amazing. I, me, this little 60-pound nothing that this horse could blow over. Uh, is in control of it. Why? Just because that little bridle in his mouth. Uh, pretty, pretty outstanding. Pretty outstanding how um, that works because the little guides the big. This is the principle. He says, he says again, verse 4, he says, Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. It boasts of great things. If you can control, if you can have control over your mouth, it can set the course for the rest of your life. A couple of examples of this. President Trump, I don't care what your political views are of his or whatever, but it's pr- almost objectively true that he talked his way into the White House. He, he was able to you know, find the hobby horses. He's able to find his constituency. He's able to make enough people mad on the other side. And he literally talked his way into the White House. He was like a B, B-list celebrity, talked his way into Hollywood. Kind of talk. He, he, all he did was talk all day long. And he took, he took the office of the most powerful government in maybe human history just with the words that he spoke and the way that he was able to get his ideas and his words and uh, in front of people. That's pretty amazing, is it not? If, you, if you're an artist, if you're an artist and you write one hit song, if you're able to put your words together in such a, a way that resonates with our hearts, you can, you can uh, be the most, one of the most popular people in not just the United States, but all of the world. Just by you organizing your thoughts and organizing uh, your words in a certain way that goes to lyrics. Pretty amazing. It's, it's absolutely amazing. Words have the power to cause revolution and cause change uh, and, and transform culture. I'm going to say three letters, three letters, and I promise you uh, what I want you to um, feel here is the power of these three letters, of how it transforms what you think about. Okay? You ready? Are you prepared? BLM. BLM. Black Lives Matter. Powerful, Right? Notice the room got quiet. It got quiet. Why? Because we're like, well, uh, that's because there's differing views on here, and I don't know how everyone feels. And those words made me uncomfortable. That's what I'm talking about, the power of words. All lives matter. Just said the other second. I was like, oh. You know, like, and then it all of a sudden just flip-flopped of what was going on in the room. Right? Because uh, these words have power to transform and to change to change the atmosphere in a room, to change the the way that you think. Words are powerful. The little is what can guide the big. Your words can transform your environment, can they not? If you have the right conversation at the right time with the right person, you can get a promotion. 
If you have the right conversation at the right time with the right person, you can go into business with someone. It can tra- One conversation, I hear it all the time. One conversation can transform the trajectory of someone's life. It can tr- totally change everything that's going on. The little controls the big. Our tongue controls the course of our entire life. But, but this tongue can have disastrous consequences. It is powerful, yes. It is powerful, yes, but it's also there's something desperately wrong with it. Look at verse 5. Look what it says. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And this is the example of, you know what? Yes, it is powerful and you can change the course of your life, but it, will, it could burn everything to the ground. Your words have the power to ruin someone's life. They have the power to transform and to change the trajectory of a, of a family. Um, lie, lying in certain um, areas can change the outcome of your day or your week or your month or your year even. I was reading up on, on this uh, that while I was studying for this that, also, you know, uh, before COVID happened, the major crisis in the world was Australia was on, literally on fire. Like the entire country was on fire. And um, I, as of February of 2021, there was 44.5 million, not 100, not 1,000, 44.5 million acres of Australia just burned down to the ground. That's, to put that in perspective, that's the entire state of Florida. Just gone. Florida no longer exists. That's what's going on. And you know how it started? One lightning strike. One little spark. And, that, and that's the point that he's trying to make. One spark burned the whole thing down. Charles Spurgeon, whenever he started, um, he moved to, whenever he started his church, he was growing in, in popularity. He moved to the largest venue in Great Britain moved to the largest venue that Great Britain had. And the first day that they were meeting, you know what happened? Someone stood up in the middle of the sermon and yelled one word, fire. And during those days, it was very serious. Fires were very serious. And over the course of the next 30 minutes, seven people were trampled to death. And hundreds were, hundreds were hurt. And guess what? There was no fire. Someone just thought to go in and disrupt the entire thing. And it almost drove Spurgeon mad. The tongue is like a fire that can set on course the, ter- the terribleness uh, that all the world has to offer. So many of us in this room, uh, I'll, I'll, stop, I'll stop here in a little bit, but have been affected by one word that has totally shaped their self-image, dumb. And that's the word dumb. And for years, and maybe even decades, it's shaped the way that you think about you, yourself, thinks about the way that you problem solve, and thinks about how you see yourself in your job right now. Because one careless word. I, God, God has been so kind. Um, it's, it's really sweet that um, my mom was able to come up and uh, participate in, in the service in the way that she, um, way that she did. And um, my parents did just an amazing job of positive reinforcement, instilling confidence in me, uh, charting a plan, uh, problem solving with me. I am so thankful I'm so thankful for them. But I tell you what, most of my life in my adult in my adult life has been shaped not by their constant reinforcement, but by a couple of negative conversations that I've had that were directed at me. And um, the tongue is powerful, and it can transform how you think and how you feel about yourself 
It is, it is lit on fire. It is lit on fire. And so what do we say? What's our, what's our American, like, coping mechanism? Um, sticks and stones may break my bones, but what, how's it go? Word, words will never hurt me. That's obviously a lie, right? <laughs> That's obviously a lie because um, it's probably if you're in North Texas, at some point you've been hit by a stick. If you have a brother, you've been hit by a stick, you know, at some point. And that has healed, and you've never thought about it until I just brought it up. But words... <laughs> Words can transform and change and, and really leave deep wounds and scars. So the tongue is powerful, yes, but the tongue is perverse. It has the same type of perverse fire or perverse power that a fire can do by lighting all of Australia, um, making it go up in flames. And so it's perverse. Look what verse 6 says. It says the tongue. Tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell itself. It has the ability to control your entire life. Negative negative words, sharp cutting words, hellfire. Hellfire, that's James' point right here. can completely transform everything about you. And we have a biblical example of this, right? Whenever, uh, remember when Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? Who speaks up? The bold one. You know, the one that's always, you know, quick to, uh, he didn't hear James first. He, he was quick to speak. He wasn't slow to speak and slow to become angry and quick to listen. He was always quick to speak. And what did he say? He says, you're the son of God. You're the son of God. And he says, Peter, blessed are you. Blessed are you. Where this was not revealed by your own wisdom, this was revealed by my Father in heaven. And then Jesus goes on to say, yes, I am the Son of God, and the Son of God must suffer and die. And Peter, what does he do? He interjects, and he says, far be it. You will never suffer and die. And then, like, right after, Jesus gives him this great exaltation of the Lord is with you, Peter. He goes, get behind me, Satan. Wow. Wow. The tongue is powerful and is set on fire by hell itself. It is set on fire by hell. Who can control it? Who can control it? And then he gives examples of this severity here. He, he goes on to say in verse 7, he says, Every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. And so, like, even back then, 2,000 years ago, they, they saw lions and tigers and bears, and they were like, no, oh, my. Like, we, we, we don't need to be afraid of these things. We've already tamed these things. I don't know how they're doing, like, killer whales and stuff that we see uh, in, in Shamu and Tilikum and, like, all that. I don't know how they were doing that back then. But it says sea creatures, which is pretty amazing. It seems like they weren't even afraid of them way back 2,000 years ago where we uh, see a killer whale, which are terrifying, by the way. If you have ever studied anything about killer whales, they will kill great white sharks for fun, just for fun. They just walk around and just like, you know, let's just kill this guy. Like, no big deal. Just ha, killed him. All right, what do you want to do now? Let's go get some seals or something, you know. And we look at these things at SeaWorld 
we look at these things at SeaWorld and we're just like, oh, isn't it beautiful? You know, Josh Groban, I love how he sings. And they, you know, like they shoot up in the sky and that's amazing. Let's go get some popcorn. You know, like no big deal. And these things are terrifying. <laughs> these are terrifying. And he, he just says, you know what? No big deal. We've tamed everything under the sun. Lions, tigers, be- bears, sea creatures, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But we can't tame the tongue. He says, we can do that. We can do that, but we can't even tame the tongue. And typically, what's crazy about this is we can't help. We can't help but speak negatively in our culture, right? Verse 8 says, no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. I think so many relationships, especially in college, happen through negativity. Just a, a statement of negativity. It was just like, you know what? So humid out here. Yeah, I hate living here. You know, like, and that's how relationships are formed. It was like, yeah, you know, like, are you doing hotter than hell? It's like, no, not doing that. That just sounds miserable. You know, we, we can't help. We can't help but just start our relationships off with just really, really negative thoughts and really, really negative comments. And, and think about it. Do, here's a test. Do the opposite. Try to, try to for, for this week, be really, really positive anytime someone says something negative. He's like, you know, it's really humid here. But she's like, well, I'm thankful for the rain. You know, like <laughs> people are just going to look at you like you're a weirdo because we have so perpetuated negativity within our culture that uh, why? Because hellfire, right? Uh, this, is, this is shaping. This is shaping who we are as, as a culture, it's absolutely shaping who we are as a culture. Proverbs 10, 19 says this. It says, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. It says, whenever you talk, guess what? The, the hellfire is going to come. It's just going to come. It's deep in there. It's just too deep. And it's lit on fire by hell. The tongue is powerful. It's so powerful. The little leads the big. And the tongue is perverted. It's lit up, lit up by the, the power of hell itself. And lastly, this is what James is trying to really communicate to all of us, is he says, it shouldn't be this way. It's, brothers and sisters, it shouldn't be this way. For those of us in this room that have been born again, that have experienced the grace of Jesus Christ infused into our hearts, transformed and brought from spiritual death to spiritual life. It should not be this way, is what he's calling us to. Verse 9 says, "With, With it we bless our Lord and Father. With our mouth we bless the Lord and Father. And with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing my brother's These things ought not to be so. So as we read the book of James, the the number one thing that James is calling us to is, listen to me, he's calling us to consistency. Consistency in our lives. That's what he's calling us to. He's saying, don't pray and ask God for something and not believe that you're going to get it. Don't, Don't do that. Don't profess to have faith and then don't live your life out in, in, in pro- producing the works of faith. Don't do that. And don't bless God and then turn around and curse people who are made in the likeness of God. James is saying that doesn't make any sense. This doesn't make any sense. He's calling us to consistency. In the same way, same way, we can see that we are all messed up, messed up. 
that our heart is desperately sick, who can heal it? Where's the perfect man that will stand in our place? Because, listen, listen, what's crazy about this, what's crazy about this passage, it says, you know, with our tongue we sing praises and we lift our hands and then we belittle people, we gossip about people. When we do that, it's, it's like, if you came up to me, <laughs> if you came up to me and you said, Cody, you know what, I love you, I love Stephanie, but Brooks, barf. I mean, just, oh, I just can't. That kid is just, just such, uh, I, I, should I continue? You know, I just can't. Brooks is my son, by the way. And, uh, no, like, our relationship is not going to be okay. <laughs> like, we're not going to be cool if you're just like, Cody, I love you. You're my boy, man. Like, I, like you're cool, man. But Brooks, ugh, just, just, a, just a terrible, just, you know, wasted space. And be like, okay, we're not good. And like, we're not boys. Uh, in the same way, he says, it doesn't make any sense for us to say, you know, God, I love you and I, and I, and I praise you. But that person over there, then you know what? Let me tell you what they did. Blank. Gossip. Blank. Slander. So it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. The gossip, the cursing, the put-downs. My brothers, it should not be this way. My brothers and sisters, it should not be this way. We are the people of God that are transformed by the grace of God. Uh, I saw an amazing example of um, really just being different in the world by uh, one of our college students, Taylor Scott. Taylor was, uh, uh, I was trying to get some work done, and so I was hiding um, in the world. And so I went, to, I went to the duck where I thought, you know, I go to collective and I can't. Uh, if you haven't been to collective, it's really great. Um, but I can't get any work done there. There's, there's too many people to see, too many people to talk to. You know, so I went to a, another coffee shop that's a little more low-key, kind of a place to get work done. And uh, Taylor was there, and she said the exact same thing. I was like, oh, I was just trying to, I was trying not to see anyone. Thanks, Cody, for showing up. And I was like, sorry. You know, we great minds think alike. There you go. And uh, she was with a couple of people studying for a final. And the girls that she was with were so negative about just what was going on. Just kind of the same thing. Kind of the same thing that I was mentioning earlier. It was like, oh, man, this, this class, like, I hate this professor. And like, yeah, isn't he terrible? And like, he said that one thing. And just negativity after negativity after negativity. And Taylor did not participate. I don't know if it was because her pastor was in the same room as her or anything like that. But I, I, don't, know, I don't know if that was the case. But I just remember listening and just saying, oh, she is being the light of the world right now. She's being, um, she's being salt um, in, this, in this twisted situation. And it, and it was so cool to see. I had my headphones on, but I was still listening. And, you know, I'm sure no one's ever done that. <laughs> but, and she was just speaking life into them. And she was being encouraging whenever they were doing put-downs. And she was, she was really building them up whenever they got something right. It was amazing to see. And my brothers and sisters, this is the way it ought to be. James is calling us to consistency. And look what he says in verse 11. He says, does, does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. He, he just kind of says all these things. And I love what James does here. He says these things, and then he moves on. Just kind of does a walk off. He's like, can this be so? And just awkwardly leaves and just kind of leaves us with, oh, no, it can't happen. So what, what do you want us to do about it? What do you want us to do? And this is what he's saying. He's saying that if a root, 
if the root is a certain way, then the fruit, the fruit that is produced will be the same as the root. If the root is the same, if the root is poured into the soil and is strong and is healthy, guess what? Whatever root that is will produce the same fruit. Whatever the foundation is, the stability will follow. Therefore, the point of this sermon is not talk nicer, be better, watch your mouth. That is not the point of this sermon, to give you a list of Christian cuss words to say other than the real, you know, real uh, things. No, no. The point of this is to look at your mouth and realize that you can't control it. You are not the perfect man. You need help from on high. You need help from on high. You need someone to help you bridle your tongue because a normal person can't do it. Can't do it. Luke 6, Jesus says this. He says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. A good person, out of the good treasure of his own heart, produces good, and an evil person, out of his treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Do you see what Jesus is saying? This isn't a watch your mouth sermon. This is a watch your heart. Where is your heart? Where is it at right now? Notice that he's not saying, he's not saying, uh, just focus on the words that come out of your mouth. He's saying, purify, purify your heart and look to see what your heart is trusting in. What is your heart trusting in? Because here's the reality. You cannot change. You cannot change. Your tongue is lit on fire by hell, but someone working through you, yet not I, but the Spirit of God who is working within you, can, cha can change you through the transformational power of God, through a new heart that is given to us through faith in Jesus. And the good news, the good news here is that we have more. We have more that we need to recognize than just what we're saying. But we need to recognize that our hearts are the things that need to be transformed. So check your heart, Redeemer. What are you, what are you trusting in right now? And how is it affecting the things that you say? What are you desiring right now? Is it Christ? Is it something else? Is it for you to be awesome? Is it for you to be able to put other people down? Is it God? What is it? What is your heart trusting in right now? Because what the Bible is calling us to today, what the Holy Spirit of God is calling us to today, is the progressive sanctification of the Spirit. The progressive sanctification, this is what I mean by that, is being transformed continually into the image of Christ. Romans 8.29 says, For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of Christ. And I know there's a couple of words that stumble us up there, but listen to the principle of what it's saying. God has called you to be transformed to look like Christ. Whenever he calls you and transforms you and makes you new, gives you, the, uh, gives you the deposit of the Holy Spirit, what he's calling you to, what he is, before the foundation of the world was laid, he said, I'm making you like him. I'm making you like him. And so can we bridle our tongue? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But can he do it through the power of the Holy Spirit? Yes. 
Yes, he can. And so you know what that means for us? Repent. Turn. Look at the word of God and see what it's saying and say, my sanctification depends on my repentance and then trust in the faith through grace that Jesus has supplied through his cross and through his resurrection. This is the truth that James is trying to steer home, to press home deep into our hearts, is that our ongoing sanctification, the, the window into our heart is what we say. What does your sanctification look like? What does your repentance look like? Because listen, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what it is. I don't know what the Holy Spirit's doing in the room right now. It might be you have a massive gossip problem and you just can't help but just open up your mouth and say, well, did you hear that person and, and, and Susie over here? That, did you hear what's going on over Ben Franklin? Did you hear what's going on over at Dexter? Did you hear what's going on over at Classical Conversations? And you just can't help but stir the pot. Or it might be, it might be something uh, to where the overflow of your, your mouth is, is um, constant cussing or something like that. Check your heart. Check your heart. Why do we do this? Why do we do this? And I'll end with this. I think we do this um, for a couple of reasons. I think we do this because we are wildly insecure. So we use our mouth to, to tear down other people so that we can feel like we're more awesome a little bit. I know that whenever uh, I was a college student and graduating and entering into kind of my very first ministerial job, I, uh, living with a whole bunch of guys in college, uh, you kind of like hone in the craft of sarcasm and just kind of every single statement that you have is just kind of a zing and just kind of, and, and the reason I was doing that, it was all kind of fun and games, but the, really the, the reason I was doing that is because I didn't want to ever be at the bottom. I wanted to build myself up, and the way that I could build myself up was tearing other people down. And that kind of carried into my ministry. So I noticed that uh, junior hires, whenever I would hang out around them, they'd say something that um, might not be the most eloquent thing in the whole wide world, and I'd just kind of zing them and just kind of have everyone around me and just kind of high-five. It was like, you see, I got them a little bit. And it was like, oh, I'm just playing, man. You know, and I was, I was shutting down the life of the people that I was supposed to be proclaiming the gospel to. And my brothers, it ought not to be this way. And what James is calling us to, and what's so beautiful here, is he says right here um, that we shouldn't bless God and curse other people. And he says, God our Father. He says, instead of, uh, a lot of times we, we would think that there's a one-to-one -one comparison here. Instead of blessing um, others and not cursing others, he says, bless God your Father. And you know what that means? It means that whenever you meditate on the fact that you are already okay, you're already accepted because of what Jesus has done in your place, you will not use your mouth, you will not use your mouth in such a way to tear down other people and to build yourself up because you'll be rested in the security that God is your father and he cares for you and he has a purpose. He has a purpose for your tongue. He has a purpose for your life. He has a mission for you to accomplish Colossians 1.16 says this, all things were created through him and for him. God, may you use Redeemer Church to use our tongue for your great glory.